What's going on, Sports Nation? Welcome to Game Breakers, the sports show where we will be breaking down news that's relevant in the sports world. It's your host, Edwin, and guys, I am back again for the midweek episode, episode two, 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 two of the freaking week. Yes, sir. We are here once again, and you know what it is, man. We do our thing as usual with the basics, but in regards to you guys, what I always say, every show, every beginning of the show, every end of the show, do your thing, strive, work hard, greatness. Greatness is hard to accomplish, but if you are consistent at it, and if you believe in yourself, and you pray, <laughs> then all that is doable. Nothing is impossible without God, you know? I mean, nothing is impossible with God, sorry. Um, but anyways, for those of you who are wondering uh, for this episode, we have some very, very, very serious topics to get into because this right here hits home for me. It does. And it should for a lot of African-Americans. Um, so we'll get straight into it because you know me. I'm a businessman. I like to get down to business. So let's do it once again. So for all of you who think racism does not exist in the NFL, two things. You're either choosing to ignore it or you live under a rock. Now, here at Game Breakers, I know we joke around. I know we're trying to be engaging. I know we try to keep you guys uh, entertained here and there while also giving you our serious takes on sports and serious analysis on sports. Uh, but we here say it like it is. And if you are offended by that comment of what I just said about you choosing to ignore racism in the NFL, then by all means, you can stop listening. Because I don't care. <laughs> we don't care. All right. So if you guys are intertwined with uh, or in you guys do care about the idea that there needs to be a better solution for trying to fix the racism issue, which has been going on for how long now? Then, yes, this is the right place for you. But let's move on. Brian Flores has sued the NFL for alleged, <laughs> alleged, okay, quote unquote, alleged racial discrimination in the hiring process of coaches. Uh, so before I start, I want to say that I am very, very proud, very, very happy for Brian Flores because he knows that despite this being a big, humongous risk, by the way, he's risking his head coaching opportunities in the future, his head coaching jobs, for that matter, he knows that this is a bigger uh, thing than him. And, you know, Great respect to him. Great respect to what he's doing for trying to give more coverage and to more give more light towards the NFL black and minority head coaches who are not there, by the way. It's only one uh, black coach in the NFL as we stand right now. Um, but I just want to go back to 2003. 2003 was a year in which the Rooney Rule was implemented. And that rule says NFL teams are required to interview even minority candidates for head coaching and football operation opportunities in senior manager positions. What does that mean? A whole bunch of BS to me. It really is. Because from 2003 up until now, 2022, we have one black head coach. So what this rule means, it's a whole facade. It really is. Because it says, basically, it's, it's a rule to appease the masses, first of all, and it says that these NFL teams can basically have the power and the authority to still hire whoever they want to hire and give an excuse to say that, well, we gave this minority uh, coach a chance to be a part of the organization, but we felt like he was not a great fit for our team. A bunch of baloney and BS to me. It really is. Because hiring these guys is different from really considering these guys interviewing these guys is really different from really considering them they can consider brian flores uh and hopes of him potentially being a nfl head coach for their team but they can also interview brian flores just to get him out of the way and just to say that we tried they didn't really try no they did not okay and going to the whole idea of you know these Black uh, NFL coordinators, offensive and defensive coordinators, uh, positional uh, operations managers, all that. These guys are overqualified more times than not. 
they are three times qualified than their counterparts who are happen to be uh, white in the situation just to be considered for a spot in the hiring process. And it's why guys like, you know, Eric Bieniemy can't get a job after two years, guys. Two years of talking about Eric Bieniemy potentially getting an NFL uh, head coaching job, a guy who we've said in the past that he is uh, uh, a coordinator who has learned under the best in Andy Reid, a coordinator who can be a potential game changer for any team that picks him up, a guy who is a culture changer, a guy who respects and commands respects of the players around him, still does not have a job after this point. And, you know, his team is out of the playoffs as we speak, but, you know, out of all the, out of all the hiring uh, that has gone on this season, out of all the coaches that have been hired this season, none of them have been black. None of them have been black. Let me say that again. None of them have been black. That is crazy. It's crazy. But it's also the reason why guys like Brian Leftwich can't get a job. There's guys like Todd Bowles, who actually was a head coach for my New York Jets, uh, I believe, what, seven years ago? Seven, six years ago? Um, and he gave us our only winning record in the past 10 years. Can you believe that? Our, our only winning record in the past 10 years. And because it did not work out because of other surrounding um, you know, count parts towards the whole equation, that's why he was fired. And now he's doing well again as a defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he's gaining more traction towards becoming a head coach again. But you know what would happen? They're going to say that, well, your record in New York shows that you're not really the man for the job because at the end of the day, guys, this is a business result. I mean, this is a results business. I said it backwards. Results business. So they're going to first look at that record for NFL black coaches at least because if you're Cliff Kingsbury, and no disrespect to Cliff Kingsbury, but if you're Cliff Kingsbury or if you're a guy like Cliff Kingsbury who comes out of college with a losing record, by the way, a total of 35 and 40, at Texas Tech, comes to the NFL and automatically gets a job as the head coach for the Arizona Cardinals over guys who possibly were qualified, more qualified than he was. But because of his skin complexion, because he fits the mold of what success looks like for these old white presidents, uh, team owners, because he grew up from the same, same slash similar backgrounds, from you know uh, his neighborhood to all that, because he talks like them, because he looks like them, that is why he will get the nod over some of these guys who are different, who are desperate, from guys like Cliff Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury, whatever his name is at this point. <laughs> I'm just joking, um, but anyways, no, it's a cycle. To be honest, it's a whole cycle that continues to go on because now we look at the results that were trying to be made of by Stephen Ross when he tried to have Brian Flores tank, have these results be terrible for his team and tank. First of all, Stephen Ross, you should be ashamed of yourself. You are a disgrace, along with the other NFL presidents and team owners who don't want to give these uh, black coaches a chance, black coordinators a chance to really imprint and put a stamp on uh, the teams that they are hiring for or that they're interviewing for, for that matter. Um, because for you to sit here and try a legend, okay, right now, all this is a legend, you know, we can't really go further until we get more information about how this all plays out. But if you have seen a thing or two about how the NFL deals with racism and how the reports in the past have come out, I strongly believe that these reports are true. And I would be shocked. I would be totally shocked if they weren't. But Stephen Ross, once again, you are a disgrace because to have Brian Flores tank and lose games, okay, apparently he was supposed to give him $100,000 for every game they lost. And Brian Flores says, no, I don't want to do that because I don't want to lose games. Like I don't, I didn't come here to lose games. I didn't get hired to lose games. You know, I've done all I could with the work that I've, I've been given with. And you want me to still tank? That was back in 2019, right? And this comes all into the whole reports about how Brian Flores fell apart with the organization, with the, the team owners and all that. 
the, the top uh, generals of the team and trying to make his name look bad. Okay, yeah, it goes all back to that, pretty much. So now we see why they had a falling out. Because this guy wanted one thing, Ryan Flores wanted another thing. But in this case, the thing that Stephen Ross wanted was terrible, and Brian Flores wanted the opposite. Something He wanted to build a winning environment. Because for him to have back-to-back winning seasons with the team that he had, and I say team that he had because, yes, there are some talent pieces on the Dolphins as we speak. But let's be honest here, people. For him to get as much out as he did uh, with Tua Tagovailoa and for his defense to play like that was outstanding. For him to win six, seven straight games and to be back in the playoff conversation was outstanding. And no disrespect to Tua, no disrespect to the pieces that they have on that team, but without Flores, that team is nothing to me. It really isn't. And we will quickly see, what I'm expecting is we will quickly see how things will play out next season when this team (laughs) struggles immensely and they look trash next year because Brian Flores is no longer there. Seriously, seriously. And going back into this whole idea of the cycle, guys, so let's say Brian Flores buys into this whole idea of trying to tank and lose games, which he wouldn't do, by the way, but let's say theoretically he does do this. He loses games and he gets fired. He gets fired now, okay? And now when it comes to trying to uh, interview for a different spot in the NFL, a different coaching hire in the NFL, a different head coaching job, a coordinator job for that matter, they're going to sit here and say that, well, your record in Miami shows that you are pretty much trash when it comes to uh, winning games in this league, that you didn't have control over the environment, you didn't really uh, give us an indication that you were the right man for that job. So what gives us the right to think that you would be the man for this job, basically? And that's going to be a more detriment to his future as an NFL head coach. You know, despite him having these back-to-back winning seasons, he still doesn't have a head coaching job right now. I mean, he was fired, released, whatever you want to make it as, and this guy was supposed to be one of the hottest commodities for head coaches out there. And so far, he has not been hired to become an NFL head coach. How is that possible? How is that possible? You see the cycle that goes on here? Same thing with Hugh Jackson back in uh, with the Browns. Apparently, he's coming out and saying that he was uh, told by his owner, Jimmy Haslam, to lose games while coaching the Browns. In three seasons, Hugh Jackson went a combined three and 36 and one. Okay, now I'm sure Hugh Jackson was trying to win these games, but once again, to even be asked to lose games says a lot about some of these owners. It really does. And guys, when was the last time Hugh Jackson had an NFL job, for that matter? I know he's coaching a university. Uh, I think it's Graham, Graham. I forget the name, but I know he's coaching a university, um, not in the NFL at the moment. When was the last time he had an NFL coaching job? Seriously. You know, and it comes down to the whole idea of you being overqualified and still not being good enough. I mean, how does a guy, answer me this, people, how does a guy, a man for this matter, have a coaching record of 62 and 50? 62 and 50. That is a winning record in this hard lead that comes by with wins. 62 and 50. He comes to this team and has two playoff appearances. His only losing season goes seven and nine. And in three and four years, sorry, he has three winning records and gets fired after back-to-back winning seasons. Seriously? And the guy they replace him with, it gets better. (laughs) It gets even better. The guy that they replace him with doesn't even touch seven wins in one season in his three years as the Detroit Lions head coach. Matt Patricia replacing my guy, Jim Caldwell. And once again, this is no shock. It's not a, it's not a criticism of Matt Patricia to, because it's not about him. It's about how they treated Jim Caldwell. And it just makes it look even worse because Patricia came in and stuck up the place. I mean, he's not touching Jim Caldwell. He's not. He's really not. He's not touching his philosophy. He's not touching his winning. He's not touching anything. Because right now, it's a results business. And right now, as it stands, his coaching record is 
poor. It's terrible compared to Jim Caldwell's. It's terrible. It really is. But because the Detroit Lions said, we want to go in a different direction because we feel as though that we could do better than nine and seven. And you, you hire Matt Patricia and he goes terribly. He has winning seasons of six, three, four garbage. That is garbage. <laughs> and that is garbage indeed. And right now, as it stands, I bet you, I bet you that these Detroit Lions fans would kill for anything close to having a 9-7 season, for anything close to having right now as it stands for the uh, the additional game, a 9-8 season in the NFL, to have at least eight wins. But they can't have that because, one, Jim Caldwell is gone. Two, they're in a new rebuilding process with Dan Campbell. And three, I mean, the regime at the top is just not good enough. And it's a, it's a reflection among all the other NFL uh, top, you know, uh, presidents and the uh, the owner of operations and all that because these guys don't want to give people like Jim Caldwell a chance to really put his imprint on teams after proving that he can get the job done after proving that he can get wins in a results business they still think that he is not the best man the best man for the job that is crazy and to be honest I'm gonna go here and say that I hate the Steelers I really do I despise the Steelers and I have my own reasons for that but. The only reason, the only reason why I tolerate the Steelers is because I root for Mike Tomlin. I root for him because he has not had a losing record in his 15 years of coaching in the NFL as it stands right now. Never had a losing record. But I also do wonder that if he were to have one, just one, guys, one losing season, who's to say that they won't fire him on the spot? right after the year is done. Who is to say that? Because right now, it's kind of tough for them to say we want to move in a different direction when he's winning every... when he's having a winning season every year. It's tough for them to do that. It really is. But, you know, he hasn't had that before, so they can't really do that. Uh, But I just wonder. I really wonder how that would have happened. Right now, as it stands, the NFL should be ashamed of itself. And I just keep on going back to this. Brian Flores, kudos to you really, because you are providing more coverage to this ongoing, never-ending issue that we have in the NFL. I don't want to say NFL. Why can't you take a page out of the NBA's playbook? Seriously. I mean, right now, as it stands, there are 12 black coaches. I believe there are 12 black coaches in the the NBA right now as it stands. Not the best, but it's progress, and it's better progress, notably, than the NFL. You know? And the NBA was this close. It was this close. This close, man, to getting a woman to become an NBA head coach. And we can't even get consistent NFL black coaches to represent these teams and to uh, change the environment for these losing teams, by the way. Losing teams. You know, you tell me that Brian Flores isn't good enough for the Giants? Good enough for the Texans? The Saints right now? The Dolphins, of course. (laughs) The Raiders? The Vikings? Stop it. Please stop it. And all these owners, man, they just, once again, the Rooney rule is a facade. It really is. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. It's there to appease the masses, to appease the majority of people. That's that's it. But it's also there to give an excuse to these uh, owners and these presidents that go through the hiring process, these GMs as well, too, that go through the hiring process and just give an excuse to say that we interviewed your guy. That's it. We did our job. But we all know that they don't look like success in your eyes. So they never really were considered to be an NFL head coach in the first place. They never were considered to be a part of your staff in the first place. So we have to do better. We have to do better, man. It, it's definitely disappointing. Um, I, I just can't believe it sometimes. I really can't. And I, I've personally experienced it because obviously being an African-American, if you guys did not know <laughs> from the, the Game Breakers cover, <laughs> uh, being African-American, uh, we go through these uh, instances where we go to these high establishments and, you know, we are the only black person in the room. Maybe two, three at the most black people in the room, depending on the job, at least. We go to these top schools, these high graded schools. And out of 100 students, there are about one to maybe three black students in that classroom. 
That is insane. That is insane, to be honest. Uh, but it's the reality that we see and that we have to live with sometimes. But I just wonder, when will change be brought forth to our doorsteps? And when will people actually open up their doors to welcoming a new mindset, a new perception on how to go about things? Because we just know. I mean, we, we really know. We, we really know, seriously. But let's move on to Tom Brady. I know that Tom Brady retired a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah, boo-hoo. Uh, but here at Game Breakers, we give our takes regardless. We um big breaking news like this. So from me to Tom Brady, congratulations on an extensive 22-season career. And as a Jets fan, I must say, uh, that I've witnessed countless amounts of losses against Tom Brady. I mean, it was terrible. The butt fumble, <laughs> uh, the years that, that we were actually good, and he still beat us, took us apart. Um, and the one times that we did beat him, it felt like one of the more best things in the world for me. The, like The joy that I felt from beating Tom Brady was like no other, to be honest. Uh, and even though he's gone, we still can't beat these guys. Can, can you believe that? <laughs> like, what, what is going to go on? Seriously. But um, there may never be a guy to catch up to Tom Brady. Can you believe that? I mean, we were so quick to crown Pat Mahomes after his great season and, you know, the Super Bowl win. But right now, as it stands, he lost to Tom Brady in the final in the, in the, in the Super Bowl. And he also lost this year to Joe Burrow in the AFC Championship game. So not looking too good, but still a young career, still a lot of games to be played for him, and still an extensive career ahead of him. So hopefully he stays healthy. Hopefully he still continues to live up to that hype that we all gave him um, after he started off with the Chiefs and this winning environment that they have produced so far. But for Tom Brady, um, you know, the biggest thing for me was how he took care of his body. Seriously. It is such an underrated thing, and I get it. Some of these, like, these players, you really can't, you really can't play the next season unless you train, to be honest, because you have to make sure your body is in top shape, tip-top shape to compete, uh, bang bodies, uh, contact sports, run around the field. It doesn't matter. You have to keep your body in tip-top shape, and Tom Brady has been a great example of how to do that over 22 seasons, seriously. I mean, he's not the best. He's not the most athletic, um, but he has been most durable, more, uh, more reliable. And guys like him, Russell Wilson, uh, LeBron James, these guys right here take care of their bodies and put more effort into doing that. And we all know that even though some of these athletes do do that, there are some who don't really care too much. They do the bare minimum. But it's it's guys like Tom Brady who we should give our praises to because he has been able to at least be durable for the most part for 22 years. I mean, like he's been playing football for half of my life. For more than half of my life, obviously. Like, can you can you believe that? He's been he's been healthy for the most part. That is insane, crazy. Going from building a dynasty with the Patriots to giving the city of Tampa a Super Bowl party and almost coming back down from a 27 to what was it, 27 to 3 deficit? Insane. Almost winning that game. Insane. But before we go, let me read you guys some stats, some quick stats about Tom Brady. Um, the only stats I'll actually read about him because unless we have another Tom Brady uh, segment, I'm never going to talk about Tom Brady and what he's done because I just absolutely don't. I mean, I respect him. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But, yeah, he obliterated my team along with the rest of the NFL, too. So it's not like I'm alone in this, but still. Um, so for Tom Brady, in his 20s, 21,000 yards passing, 147 TDs, three-time Super Bowl champ, two-time Super Bowl MVP. In his 30s, 40,000 yards passing. Wow. 339, sorry, 309 TDs, two-time MVP, two-time Offensive Player of the Year, one-time Super Bowl champ, one-time Super Bowl MVP. In his 40s, now this is where it gets kind of exciting. I'm not going to lie. 23K yards passing. That is more yards passing in his 20s, first of all. 168 touchdowns, that is more than his 20s, 147. Three-time Super Bowl champ, same as his 20s. Two-time Super Bowl MVP and one-time MVP, more than his 20s. Can you believe that? I just cannot believe that. So each decade he's had, <laughs> each decade he's pretty much had great numbers. 
and he has played consistent. And at the latter stages of his career, he has played phenomenal. He has played better than when he first came into the league. And Super Bowl stats. We have 10 appearances for 7-3. and three, Not bad. 65, 65.8 completion percentage. 3,039 passing yards. He averaged 3.3.9 yards per game. 21 TDs, 6 interceptions. Uh, 97.7 passer rating and five-time Super Bowl champ. I must say congratulations to not only him, but to Peyton Manning and, and Eli Manning as well too because they kept that man from possibly five more Super Bowl wins. So, <laughs> you know, and also probably the best stat because we all we all know that this is a results business. In his 20 seasons, or 22 seasons for that matter, whatever, how long he's been here, <clears throat> he's racked up far more regular season wins than any QB. 243 to 73 as overall for his wins. So he has 243 wins, the most regular season wins by a QB. And next on the list, no one's even touching 200. No one's like the closest is 186. And that's Brett Favre and Manning tied for that. And Drew Brees at 172. No one even has 200 wins. 200 wins. Can you believe that? Wow. I must say, that is greatness. That is greatness. So, you know, for these players who have been playing as long as he's had uh, played in the league, um, they may get this itch of trying to come back and play the next season, you know, after playing it for so long. I don't think that would be the case with Tom Brady. I think that he's finally done. Uh, I do believe that he will enjoy um, the likes of retirement, and hopefully he will be able to live his life to the fullest. Whatever plans, whatever projects he has working on, in the future, I hope he's able to accomplish those. And Tom Brady, I mean, it was a pleasure watching you play, a pleasure watching you destroy my team, but other teams as well too. And also a, a bigger pleasure in watching you lose because I was always playing, like <laughs> I was always praying on your downfall. I'm not gonna lie, um, not to get injured or anything, but to lose the games because I just hated watching you win. Sometimes I really did, but I respected it though. I respected it to the highest level because I know that you know my team messes up one play. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go again. Right here comes Tom. Here comes Tom doing that thing that we hate, which is come back to the game and win. And he does it time and time again. And, you know, I just want to make this comparison because it reminded me of this. Tom Brady, his retirement reminds me of Kobe Bryant, you know, and the way that he went out. It was nice to watch him go out that way. Um, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. But, you know, I know that these guys have intentions in their mind that they wanted to go out retire and live life to the fullest. Kobe, as he said before, be a girl dad, uh, um, you know, be a dad to his children. Once again, have more time. Same thing for Tom Brady as well to have more time to do that and have uh, more fun with them. But once again, it was a great uh, privilege to watch Tom Brady play. They may never be another Tom Brady, obviously. And let's see if Mahomes can catch up to him because at this point, I don't think we have anybody closer to trying to at least catch up to him than Pat Mahomes is at the moment. So we'll see what happens. But congratulations on a nice career time break. Nice, nice, extensive, great, phenomenal, you know, exciting, uh, uplifting career uh, for the Patriots and for the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right, moving on. So we have the Washington football team, who are no longer the Washington football team. The Washington Redskins, who are no longer the Redskins. Now they are the Washington Commanders. Can you believe that? Okay. <laughs> so there's obviously a connection to the nation's capital. That's pretty much what was said uh, by uh, team president uh, Jason Wright. Um, I'm going I'm to read you his, his quote uh, in a second. But, you know, I did want Red Wolves. I'm not going to lie. But I think Commanders, it fits them nicely. It does. It fits them nicely. And if you're wondering why this whole thing started in the first place, it's because the league felt that the former name, which was Redskins, was considered offensive and racist. So, I mean, like, what took you long to figure that out? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What took you so long to figure that out? Seriously. Um, but um, when you go to Jason Wright in his comments, and I quote, uh, we landed on this in part because we believed the Washington Commanders can carry the rich legacy of this team, a championship legacy. Champion, <laughs> A championship legacy. Okay. Uh, it's got the weight and heft of something befitting a 90-year franchise. It's something that broadly resonated with our fans in this process and something that embodies the values of service and leadership that 
characterizes the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Yes, that region. And he also states that what this effort really is at its core is not landing on a name that was going to be unanimously, (laughs) unanimously, unanimously loved by everybody, but to start a process by which we can continue to, to preserve what's best about the burgundy and gold. Those have been colors and a name and a franchise that when you have trouble talking to each other on other topics, you can come together and hug and high five and be the one while cheering this team on. Um, so I like it. It's not bad. Not a bad speech by him. Uh, but the biggest thing for me is the fan base. This new name, this new uniforms that they will have because they do have new uniforms uh, will give fans and players hope too. And guys, think about this. When I when I saw my team, the New York Jets, when I saw them get new uniforms, I was very excited. Not, not even excited to watch the players play, but excited to see the, the uniforms in action, you know, because they were nice. The new black. I never seen my team have black ever. So getting a, a black uniform was nice. Obviously, the all-white uniform, the different stripes, the new helmet, that was all nice. But for Washington to get new uniforms and a new team name? Oh, talk to me nice. Or oh, don't talk at all. Oh, oh, okay, let me stop. But anyways, that is nice. It really is. And you know, whatever we have in regards to our thoughts about how this team will perform next season, um, whether or not they lose a win, they look good doing it. They'll, they'll look good losing in those uniforms. Um, and they'll look good with a new name too, Commanders. Sounds nice, Commanders. My goodness. Uh, but regardless, it should still give this fan base a bit of hope because you never know. I mean, a new name, new uniforms, new identity at the end of the day. New everything. So you give yourself a new kind of persona to try and make a different uh, name for yourself, a different kind of environment which could possibly be a winning environment for this team. So uh, who knows? Maybe depending on the QB situation, they could probably be a playoff team next year. That's what some of the people that I hear around uh, speaking are saying. Uh, maybe Washington could be in it to win it. I mean, they were in the playoff race this year, so it's not far-fetched. Um, but they started off a, a bit slow, and they had to try and climb their way back. And then obviously as the season went on, they sort of, they sort of fumbled that bag and lost a couple of more games to be out of the playoff race. But next year is a different year. It is. Every team starts off 0-0. So you never know. But name it's nice. It's not too bad. Uh, I, I, for for out of 10 ratings, I'll get a 6.5. 6.5 for me. It's not terrible. But I, I just wonder how Red Wolves would have sounded. But, mm, you know, maybe there may have been some connection about how Offensive, that may sound as well, too, so maybe not. Um, but, yeah, Commanders is nice. I think it fits the team's nation, and I think it fits the whole overall arching military-based concept that we have for the Washington football team that is no longer the football team, the Commanders. Okay, now let's move on to some basketball. Oh, we have Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal, who, per the athletics David Aldridge, and Josh Robbins, Beal is conflicted about whether or not he wants to stay with the Wizards. Now, there is obviously some desired, um, genuine, uh, to you know, desire and genuine uh, want to stay with the Wizards. But, you know, as they quote, uh, Beal remains uncertain about whether the Wizards can surround him with difference makers uh, that will make them a regular playoff contender. Okay, so what I think is, I do like Bradley Bill. I really do. He's a great player. I respect him a lot, to be honest. I really do respect him because for him, for any of these type of players to say that they want to be a part of this process that involves winning in the future, despite this team not being known for winning consistently in big time moments, playoffs, not being a playoff team, especially where the Washington team is right now. <laughs> More Washington news. Can you believe that? <laughs> uh, Washington commanders, not Washington wizards. Um, uh, but you know, the, I respect his want to try and stay and try and build a winning environment. But at some point, it comes down to this, man. What do you want? You know, what do you want? Do you want to hoop and get paid bread, or do you want to hoop and get a championship? That's pretty much it. Uh, because we, uh, we it's far fetched, maybe not, but we, let's be honest here, people. There are some players in the NBA that may 
not really care about winning a championship, even though people play, I mean, these guys play all their lives to try and get that, but it could just be, and it's not far-fetched to say that I just want to play basketball what I've been playing my whole life and get paid for it. That's it. I mean, the championship is a bonus, but I don't have to get paid. I mean, I don't have to win that. Sorry. I just got to get paid. But for Bradley Beal, apparently he wants to win that championship. So for a guy that's averaging 23.2 points this season, 6.6 assists, 4.7 rebounds, and, you know, he is owed $36.4 million for next season, if he decides to cancel or decline his option for next season, he will become a free agent, which means that he will be probably one of the hottest or the hottest commodities uh, for free agents next season. And the teams who feel as though they – fit his stature of play and he feel he fits the the organization will probably be what happens next offseason if he decides to decline that option and maybe you know he may get paid uh around that same amount of bread and maybe he will find a fit that possibly will be enough for him to at least compete at a highest level for a championship you never know right now we have reports that there's some trade speculation going on with the 76ers and the Wizards in regards to trying to trade Bradley Beal and Ben Simmons. But the issue is, as we've stated in the past, the 76ers are not really looking to deal Ben Simmons at the moment, uh, at least before the February 10th uh, trade deadline. So that may not happen, um, but it, it would have been a possibility. And when you look at the fit for that team, it's not too bad. It's not bad at all, to be honest. I mean, you have a team that, its championship window isn't the biggest to me when it's among the top teams in the East, but you do still have Joel Embiid, who, by the way, is playing on an MVP level a caliber season, obviously the All-Star this year, and is carrying this team. Right now, they have jumped from being what a mid-table, a mid a mid-seated team in the East to being second. Second in the East. Can you believe that? At 31 and 19. I love it. That is tough. That is tough. But, you know, Bradley Bill will be an excellent fit for them, provides shooting, provides another option of scoring, and maybe you could re re reduce Seth Curry's minutes to a bench uh, but play one of those more extensive bench starter minutes roles that he could possibly play. Uh, but Bradley Bill will be a good fit. I mean, he'll be a good fit for pretty much any team, in my opinion, because he plays within his role. He's going to get his buckets, uh, but he's a smart player, doesn't do too much, doesn't try to win games single-handedly by himself, but when he needs to, he's going to take that ball and try and score to will his team back into the fight. Um, and he's, so far from what I've heard, a good character, a good locker room, a good leader. Uh, so, you know, for what it's worth, he would be a good fit for any team. And we've seen that over the past couple of years because of how he's been able to stay with the Wizards despite all this trade speculation and try to make it all work in Washington. But right now, Bradley Bill, as it stands for me, Washington is not the best opportunity for you to win a championship. It's not for me at all. I, I get it. You get guys like Kyle Kuzma, who has been playing in his bag uh, this season. He actually played really good last night, too. Uh, Montrezl Harrell, who was a former six-man of the year. Uh, guys like KCP, um, Denny Ardija, you know, those kind of guys. I was there, Spencer Dinwiddie, who has, at some points throughout his NBA career, played at high levels in scoring the basketball. It's not a bad team, but – they still are a couple more players away from really cementing themselves and being a top team in the East. Because right now, as it stands, they have lost the last 24 out of the last 37 games. That is terrible. <laughs> that is garbage. After starting 10 and 3, can you believe that? 10 and 3, going from 10 and 3 to 20 to now 23 and 27. That is not great at all. And currently, they are on a six game losing streak and they are now 12th in the conference. Nine games behind first place. Not good at all, to be honest. Uh, and, you know, they did play well last night against the Bucks. We'll get into that later. But that was also without Bradley Bill. But this team needs help. It needs more help than what it is right now. And Bradley Bill, I'm sorry. Whatever you tried to do in Washington, you tried. You can say you tried. You, you gave your efforts. But it's not working out, man. It's not working out. So for me... You have to leave. You have to leave. And it'll be interesting to see what happens next season. I do expect him to decline that 36 point, was it 36.4 million next season to become a free agent because at this point he needs what he wants, which is a championship. The money may not be important to him anymore. I mean, if you go back to that that um 
that video that we saw with him talking to the young guns, the kids, and he was saying that, you know, my my, my family's paid for. My mom did not have to work another day in her life. My, my family is set for life with the money that I've earned. Now, going off of those comments and going off of what he is doing right now with the team and his recent actions, it's pretty evident that he wants a championship right now as we speak. So Washington is not the fit for him. It's not. But, you know, hopefully, if he does decide to stay, decide to stay for the Wizards fans out there, and they do put more pieces because they don't have a terrible team. They have just been playing some inconsistent basketball and some bad basketball, but they don't have a terrible team, in my opinion. Um, they can still add some more pieces to hopefully being a better relevant team in the future. But still, at that point, I don't see them being a, a better team than the Bucks. My Heat, the Bulls, the Cavs at the moment, the Nets. Um, you know, who's who's to know what's going to happen with that big three. But it's kind of tough for me to put them over Charlotte too. Obviously, Philadelphia. I don't know. It's tough for me. And that is all in a season where the Hawks and the Celtics are struggling immensely. But uh, you never know. You just never know at this point. Okay, guys, let's get into our last segment of the day. That is the NBA scorelines and predictions. Let's do a recap of last night's action. First off, we have the Heat and the Raptors. Once again, we dropped a game to the Raptors. Back-to-back losses against this team. And <sighs> I don't know what it is, to be honest. I don't know what it is. I may It may be Kyle Lowry not being here, uh, missing game action for personal matters. But I just I, I know the Raptors are a good team. They're a very scrappy team, very long, lanky team with Pascal Siakam, uh, Boucher. Uh, Achua, obviously, uh, Scotty Barnes, now in that mix, too. It's tough to be this team. It really is. And for them to be playing, they have, to me, a lot of pieces to really be a mid-to-top team in the East, but because they are in a sort of rebuilding, not rebuilding, but in a transition where they don't have their leader, Kyle Lowry, it's been kind of tough. And we've seen the likes of Fred Van Vliet take over the games, uh, Spicy P take over games this year. But they just need more, more um, consistency and some more playtime with each other to be a uh, top team in the East again. But for what it's worth, they beat us last night. So <laughs> 110 to 106. Uh, behind every starter scoring in double figures, we had 16 from uh, Spicy P, 14 rebounds, 13 from Ananobi, 11 from Scott Barnes, and nine rebounds as well, too. One rebound shy of a double double. 21 points from Fred Van Bleek. And once again, a 30-piece dropped by Gary Trent Jr. on us. 33 points. Can you believe that? I can. And off the bench, we have Precious Achua for 12 points. Not bad at all. Seven boys, too. Not that bad at all. For my team, no Kyle Lowry once again. We had 12 points from Tucker. Did his thing. I actually must say, like, if any night that Tucker has over 10 points is a good night for us. It really is. Um, 16 points from Jimmy Butler. He had 12 assists, double-double. Had a two-shy rebounds from a, a triple-double. Uh, but he shot terribly from the field, 3 of 10 shooting. Not that great at all. 32 points, though, for my guy, Bam Adebayo. So congrats to him. And a double-double, 11 rebounds. And unfortunately, we had guys like Gabe Vincent and Ducker Robinson cool off in recent games. This night, uh, only three points and five points apiece. Off the bench, we had Tyler Hero for 18 points. But in the end, the Heat fall to 32 and 20. The Raptors improved to 26 and 23. The Heat are now third in the East. Pelicans defeat the Pistons on the road, 111 to 101, behind a masterclass performance by my guy, uh, Brandon Ingram, 26 points, 13 points from Valachunas, and 13 boards, a double double for him. We had off the bench, which was probably the most impactful scoring uh, 12 points from Trey Murphy, 14 from Nikhil Alexander Walker, 10 points from Jose Alvarado, and 11 points from Willie Hernan Gomez. And for the Pistons, we had 18 from Corey Joseph, 17 from Jeremy Grant. 14 from Fred Jackson off the bench and 12 off the bench from Hamadou Diallo. Yes, and they have right there. But the Pistons, Detroit basketball, fall to 12 and 38. The Pelicans improved to 19 and 32. Moving on, we have the Wizards and the Bucks, a Wizards team that came back early, I mean, late in the third quarter, early in the fourth, made it a game after being blown out for most of the game, to be honest. But the Bucks pulled away late, 112 to 98. And we have the Bucks, every starter in double figures, 33 points, triple-double alert for my favorite player in the NBA, Giannis Antetokounmpo, you know what I'm saying? 33 points, 11 assists, 
15 rebounds. Masterclass. Have yourself a day, big boy. 13 points from Chris Middleton, who did not shoot the ball well last night for a 12 shooting, but got the win, though. 17 points from Bobby Porter's did your thing. Uh, 22 points from Drew Holiday and 10 for Grayson Allen. My guys. And for the Wizards, once again, without Bradley Beal, 25 points from Kyle Kuzma, who, by the way, played good basketball last night, both on the offense and defensive parts of the game. 12 points from KCP. And when it came to a struggling night, this team struggled immensely from Spencer Dinwiddie, only seven points, two of nine shooting. And, you know, Aaron Holiday, not that great of a shooting night, three points. But off the bench, Montrezl Harrell, 20 points, not too bad for him. But in the end, once again, as I mentioned before, the Wizards are on a current six-game losing streak and are now 23 and 27. The Bucks improved to 32 and 21. All right. The Bulls and Magic. Magic came back late, but once again, same story for the Bucks and the Bulls. They pull away late. 126 to 115. We have every starter and double figures for the Bulls. 29 points and 10 rebounds for my guy, DeMar DeRozan. Fresh off of that interview from my girl, Taylor Rooks. Shout out to Taylor Rooks, man. She does some great work. And she is a very, very, very much role model for me. Inspiration. Uh, because she has done it all so far being a sports journalist and working her way up there, it's great to see. So hopefully I can attain the levels of Taylor Brooks and beyond, hopefully. But anyways, that's my little spiel. 11 points from Javante Green, 18 points from Nikola Vucevic, and 13 boards. 26 points from my guy, Zach Levine, 13 from Ayo DeSumo. And if you're counting at home, for the Magic, 24 points from Wendell Carter, 22 from Frank Wagner, 20 from Cole Anthony, and 13 off the bench from Gary Harris. And if you're wondering, only nine points from my guy, Jalen Suggs, 4-14 shooting. And I can admit I'm wrong. I can. You know, I'm, I'm rarely wrong. But when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You know, I, I felt, and it's still early, to be honest. It, it, it's still early, you know. He's only still in his rookie season. But as it stands, Jalen Suggs and Scott Barnes, uh, I was arguing for the Raptors to kind of draft Jalen Suggs and that has proven to be wrong <laughs> because he does not fit that team at all. And uh, Jalen Sucks has been struggling this season, but he is still a rookie. He is still finding his feet. So we will see what happens. But for right now, Scott Barnes is outplaying him by a wide margin, a wide margin. Okay. Nuggets lose on the road 115 to 130. Uh, we had the Tims. The Tims had everybody. Just kidding. 18 points, <laughs> just 18 points from my guy, uh, Jared Vanderbilt. Um, we had 24 points from Carl Anthony Towns, 10 uh, rebounds, 7 assists, not bad of a night for him. 11 points from Pat Bev, playing some good basketball this year. Okay, okay, not bad. Only 5 points from Anthony Edwards, by the way. But, I mean, they got the dub, so it doesn't really matter at this point. 23 points from uh, Torrey and Prince off the bench. 12 apiece off the bench from Nas Reed and Malik Beasley. 10 points from Jalen Noel. Not bad at all. Who has been actually a really good score for them off the bench this season. And for the Nuggets, 21 points from Nikola Jokic, 16 boards, 8 assists, 13 points from Will Barton, 13 for um, um, my guy Morris, Monte Morris, and 12 points for Jeff Green. And off the bench, 12 points from Jermichael Green. Okay, let's move on to the Warriors, a team without Klay Thompson and Steph Curry still win on the road against the Spurs. Spurs, you should be ashamed of yourselves. Okay, we had 21 points from Damian Lee, 31 points from Jordan Poole. Wow. 20 points from Moses Moody. See, I told you guys he was going to be nice. I told you. I told you guys. Uh, I'm not sure if I said that. Said that. <laughs> I'm not sure if I said that to you guys, but if I did, I did. Uh, 19 points off the bench from Jonathan Kaminga, and the Warriors went on the road. If you're counting at home, 27 points from Deontay Murray. One board and one assist shy from a triple dub who has been playing some great basketball all year long. My God, Deontay Murray. Yeesh. Do your thing, man. 16 points from Devin White, 21 from Kelton Johnson, 10 from uh, McDermott, and off the bench, 14 from Devin Vassell. But the Spurs lose at home, and they fall to 19-33. and 33. The Warriors improve to 39-13. and 30 and 13. And last game of the night, the Nets and the Suns. Okay. Have yourself a big day, big boy. Mikel Bridges, 27 points, eight boys, four assists. Okay, do your thing. All right, 
Devin Booker, 35 points. I mean, listen, guys. I know he scored more points than uh, Mikel Bridges, but that's his norm. Mikel Bridges is not dropping 27-plus points a game. You know, he's not doing that. But when he does, you have to shout it out. You have to shout it out. All right, 20 points for Chris Paul, 14 assists, double-double for him, and 12 points for DeAndre Ayton, 16 off the bench from Cameron Johnson. And for the Nets, we have 13 for Kess Edwards. I do like Kess Edwards as a rookie. He's doing really good for me. He's doing exceptionally well, has made the most out of his minutes, 26 points from Kyrie Irvin, uh, 22 from James Harden, 10 assists, and off the bench, 17 from Blake Griffin. And the Nets fall on the road. They are now 29 and 21. The Phoenix Suns are 41 and 9. Can you believe that? Okay, I, can, I definitely can. Okay, let's get into tonight's matchups and predictions. Blazers and Lakers, give me the Lakers. Magic and Pacers, give me the Pacers. Wiz and the 76ers. Hmm. So, no Thomas Bryant, who got injured last night. And they're going to have Daniel Gafford start and possibly D, Joel Embiid. Possible. I mean, Daniel Gafford's not a bad defender. But still, I, I do see Joel Embiid dropping some maybe 30-plus points a game. I mean, this game at least. Yeah, give me the 76ers. Hornets and Celtics. Give me the Celtics. Grizz and Knicks. Give me the Grizz. Cavs and Rockets. Give me the Cavs. Thunder and Mavs. Give me the Mavericks. Nuggets and Jazz. Ooh. Hmm. Hmm, give me the Jazz here. Give me the Jazz. And Nets and Kings. Another toss-up for me. Give me the Nets. All right. There you have it, guys. Make sure to check in and see if I was right with my predictions. I usually am right, but that's just me. Um, but anyways, once again, another great, long, important episode this time. Don't forget what I said in the beginning of the episode, man. NFL racism should not be uh it should not be disclosed. It should not be uh overlooked. Because it's going to take a while. Once again, we've been saying this for a long time. But we need to have a change of perception when it comes to racism. And the only way to do that is to have these NFL presidents, team owners, and people actually who still are in this mindset to have the change come to their doorstep and for them to open their door and welcome it inside their home. That's pretty much it. But, you know, hopefully that changes. And I hope that this move by Brian Flores puts more action and more pressure on NFL executives to make bigger moves and to make more equality and fair moves to breed our, uh, a winning and equal environment for all places. I mean, for all players and all teams and all uh, NFL head coaches and all minority coaches, especially minority coaches, to be honest. Uh, but anyways, guys, continue to support MBS, continue to support me and the Game Breakers. And make sure, make sure to keep on your grind and do your thing. The grind never stops. Yes, sir. It's your boy Edwin. I am out. Everyone be safe and peace.